0: This is the Hidden Why podcast, episode 596 with Jason Troy. Welcome to the Hidden Wise 30 minute power segment. I am passionate about creating a lifestyle that minimizes suffering and regret. The purpose of life is not simply to survive, but to thrive and I believe we do that by creating a life with greater freedom, fulfillment and happiness. Each week I will be delivering a 30-minute conversation with a guest expert on a topic that they are knowledgeable and passionate about, with the purpose to inspire and educate us all. I don't have all the answers, I'm simply trying to figure life out, and through greater awareness and understanding I can put into practice what I learn to further my life's progression. I can't give you your life's map, I can't show you the way, but I can assist you in discovering your why. I can help you define your life's compass, to guide you purposefully, to act on and pursue your life's desires, and from there, watch happiness ensue. My guests are the experts. They are the people I learn from. They provide the inspiration, education, and methodology that we can all benefit from in better navigating the ultimate life. Without further ado, let the show begin. Today's featured guest is Jason Troy. The topic is engagement. Jason is an executive coach who works with corporate executives and seven-figure entrepreneurs to help them maximize their leadership potential, performance, and build and execute their career blueprint. He's the best-selling author of Social Wealth, a how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships. He was a featured guest speaker at TEDx Wilmington 2017, where he debuted his breakthrough team building game, Cards Against Mundanity. Finally, he is the host of the Executive Breakthroughs Podcast, which brings game-changing CEOs, entrepreneurs, and experts that share their breakthroughs and breakdowns. Enjoy today's show with Jason Troy Engagement. G'day Jason, welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. How are you going?
1: I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: mate. it's a pleasure. I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Uh, So today's topic that we're going to talk about is relationships, and particularly around uh, relationships at the workplace, team building, etc., Um, So, look, let's start with why this topic is such an important one to you.
1: Well, I was doing research on this for my TEDx talk and Gallup had as a study that they look at employee engagement in the workplace, global in the U.S. And it's, you know, engagement levels are so low, they're at like 30% of employees in the U.S., and it's even worse on a global perspective. What's, and it's what's costing... What's
0: percentage on a global perspective, do you know, roughly? I think, I think it's... twenty
1: twenty-five. Yeah, it's something like that. It's pretty low. It's like 20 or less. It's hmm. very low. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And, you know, in the U.S., they've estimated that it's costing $550 billion in lost productivity, yeah. Um, you know, alone, and I can't imagine on the global level what that number is. I think it's probably so staggering that it would be, be, blow our own minds mm. <laughs> where it's at, right? And I think that, that it's exacerbated by the fact that loneliness levels for people are at the highest rate they ev- they've ever been, they're at 40% now of the population, meaning the feeling of loneliness that even though you're around other people, you feel like you don't have anyone Um, That you can go to and confide in. So that that causes. Yeah, it's at the highest it's ever been. Right. I think. And then you look at social communication and emotional skill sets. They're at the lowest they've ever been since they've done any research on this. Right. So all the data is pointing that we're regressing as a society in a significant way compared to where we used to be, which is actually funny because you think with all this technology and advantages and resources. We'd be ahead. But like Tony Robbins said, it's not about resources, it's about being resourceful.
0: Hmm. Yeah, interesting statistics. And, and there's probably many reasons why. But um, I mean, in your research, what, what are some of the, the key contributing factors to these stats uh, decreasing? I mean, employee engagement, I mean, that's a huge one. Why are people not engaged anymore? Um, but for me, bigger than that is probably the whole um, social situation with people and individuals, you know, loneliness, depression. Um, I think that's much more critical and, and damaging to uh, our society moving forward. Um, yeah, what, what came up in your research? Well,
1: in the, the loneliness thing and why that matters and people would say, oh, that doesn't really matter. Well, they've now equated loneliness with food, water and shelter with, with if you're lonely and you feel like it, it's the equivalency every day of feeling lonely, of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You will die quicker you have more health problems, you will acquire mental illnesses. There's all these things equated around it. You will make less money. I mean, it's a pretty significant problem and it's getting worse. And I think part of this is attributed to social media and that people feeling like they have connections that aren't real. And the way that you create community in our lives is through belonging. And you actually have to be in front of people to create belonging, right? Touching, feeling, like looking at them. And I think a lot of times people feel like they have this sense of a community when they really don't. Yeah, And so people are just engaging significantly less. And they did another study where – They looked at how many people do you have that you can confide in closely about stuff, and they did the research in the, I think, early 80s, and the average person said, like, two to three people, and they've recently run it a couple years ago, and it went down to zero to one, Mm -hmm. right? So – our social connections are deteriorating because our skill sets are because we're not utilizing them. And it's like going to the gym, right? Social communication and emotional skill sets are learned behaviors. Sure. Some people are better. And I saw something that you were mentioning in one of the articles we were talking about earlier that you wrote on this too, is that like, you know, you learn these things, right? They're not hardwired alone. For some people they are, but it's very low. I mean, I work with people and teach them this stuff all the time and, you know, you can't take someone who's like on a scale of 1 to 10 at like a 1 and turn them into a 10. You can certainly get them to a 6, 7, or 8, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. people can get really far, even if you're an introvert, socially awkward, or whatever. That has nothing to do with it. Yep. You can always improve if you actually use the skill sets. Well, you know, and I think the other part of this, too, is that because people are doing less, they're going to work, and work is their social life right it's not work-life balance it's not work-life integration work and in their life is one and the same so if you don't create social connections at work today you are basically in a place where your chances of being isolated are far higher and then these create all these other problems right that go along with the professional issues of the personal ones as well
0: yeah look i i can't agree more with everything you've just said. Um, certainly, that, that need for belonging seems to be a fundamental human need, and uh, as it relates to the longevity of our life and the, the well-being, however, all well-being, um, it seems to be important as well. Um, and you know, is is the reason? I, I just wonder if the reason for our um, social, uh, what do I call it, regression, uh, is perhaps because we have all these because of social media we have all these these higher expectations we think we have to be more than than we need to be uh, definitely because, yeah
1: yeah i think so because i think it's hard to look i think what happens is all the social conditioning marketing you know, Facebook feeds, ESPN highlight reels, make it seem like everyone's living this life because you're just seeing the high notes. You're not seeing the reality, right? And that's that's never happened. And that's never happened in recorded history before, right? It's the comparison factor and perfectionism becomes exacerbated when you get all these messages um, and all these things are consistently happening, right? It's hard to Just follow and swim in your own lane, right? You're going to be looking around, and that causes a whole creek problems that create more isolation and entrenchment, right? Which make all of this even worse. So it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you're doing all these things, the odds are you probably are going to be more isolated and have less connections. And then you're going to be less successful at work and in your personal life.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about this with my friend uh, some time ago and we just talked about, you know, before technology um, and even in transportation and, and mobility, um, you know, we stayed in our little communities and that was our comparison factor. But now we compare ourselves with everyone around the world. And on top of that, there's marketing and consumer and capitalism that's sort of saying this is how you should look, this is how you should behave, this is the stuff you should own. And, you know, you look at the houses that we desire these days. I mean, uh, it's it's all a little bit too much, but we think we... Need it because the next door neighbour has it, or someone that we know on Facebook has it, um, and certainly that's that's quite limiting, and, and probably puts us into that state of uh, social regression and isolation. Um, as that relates to the workplace, um, I, I suppose that has a big um, influence into your research as well about you know comparison at the workplace and how that affects our relationships there.
1: Yeah, it does. And, you know, Google did some great research a couple years ago in this project called Aristotle, and they were looking at how to build a perfect team. So they studied their top 180 teams at Google and hired researchers from all the major institutions to come in and look at the data, the patterns, interview people. And they did it over a three-year period, and they are really struggling to find any connection across all the teams. And then one of the researchers sat in a team where the team leader shared the had stage four cancer and was probably going to die, and they saw the team performance skyrocket. And they figured out the only attribute across all the teams at Google, and now it's one of their core platforms and the things that they do primarily when a person comes on board is psychological safety. And that's a fancy word for vulnerability. It's, you know, getting to know people on a deep personal level. It's being able to raise controversial or crazy ideas in the group and to feel free to ask any questions without feeling it's going to be stupid or people are going to make negative comments about you, right? And that's it. And that creates a sense of caring about each other, sharing wanting the best. And that is how these teams are performing. They're not the teams who had the smartest people. It's not the teams that had the best people, salespeople or marketing people or engineering people. It's the people that felt the most psychologically safe because then they acted as a group. And that group think was more powerful than any individual in what they had to bring themselves, which I think is pretty incredible. Mm. And I, think that we, and I think that all goes back to what we've been talking about here, right? If you create belonging, your performance and your team's performance will go through the roof and you will be able to outperform anyone, right? So if you're a five-person company and you do things like this, you can take on companies that are 10, 20 times your size because they will never be able to deliver because they don't have the group think, the group success mindset. Wanting the best for people, trusting each other, willing to go and do crazy innovation, and bring a lot of things to the table that you will be able to do, which will help you and your organization.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really um, interesting point, and probably the, the key takeaway for me uh, from our interview is is that that whole idea behind psychological safety, and, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, to feel that that level of comfort. Um, in any relationship, you know that when you're comfortable like that, you will just naturally perform better because you don't have to hide anything. You don't have to cover anything yeah. up or, or be someone that you're not. Um, it really allows that authenticity to, to shine through, I suppose, in that, you know, vulnerable nature. And if you think about, I saw, was just thinking as you were speaking about how I may have interacted in a family situation with my new immediate family or whatever, extended family compared to how I might act in a, a situation at the workplace or even a situation at a, a social function where I don't know many people. Um, and, and that really is, goes back to that, that psychological safety. I feel oh. much safer in that, in that family environment, don't I? So uh, really Total. interesting point.
1: Right, and I think the thing about it is, is that and the other way to boil this down to another level is that when you like the people that you work with and engage with, you you treat them differently than people that you either dislike or are neutral with. And so when you can create a group full of people that like each other, they don't have to be friends, but they they need to like each other. You then create a very powerful situation where you have a competitive advantage in the marketplace that no one else can beat. And when you institute that in a culture, you create some pretty magical things, right? I have a client here who's growing a business out of their bedroom to a billion and a half dollars. And when you walk in that company, you'll see a lot of that psychological safety, especially at the executive level. And that's the key because it all permeates downward from there. Mm. And it takes on the personality of the executive team and the people in it that are carrying know about each other personally outside of work, would help each other out, you know, would do anything for each other. And that makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And you can survive, you know, the major ups and downs in the peaks and valleys because you have that support, you're caring and you're going all in. And you just don't have that 99% of the organizations, right? And that's the thing about you know, like Google, you have to understand it's not about the ping pong tables. It's the psychological safety that's created inside the organization, you know, to some degree, probably, you know, in a big organization like that, it can vary, but you're going to find it in a lot of the highest performing teams because they get that. Mm-hmm. And so people need to institute that in their own organizations because okay. that's their advantage, right? And otherwise they're struggling to build a culture. Everyone will talk about building a culture. And I say to myself, no, don't worry about building a culture build psychological safety and the culture will sort of, will create itself. Right. Makes of course sense. you get the hmm. values. Right. Hmm. And I mean, those are, I mean, that, right. And you've got to institute that stuff, but that's stuff's simple to do. That's writing down things on a piece of paper or, you know, and handing them out. Right. But you won't get anyone to value it. If they don't like each other and they don't care about the people around it because who's going to enforce it and who's going to care about being in, the enforcement of it.
0: Yeah. Um, I've got a fair few questions in regards to all this and I suppose, you know, to to wrap this podcast up, I'd really like to jump into how we can go about creating um, that psychological safety in a workplace, uh, no matter the size, you know, where do we start with that? Um, But before I go there, I mean, in regards to employee engagement and performance, if if it comes down to this psychological safety, that would indicate to me, number one, that that's exactly what you want to create. Um, if that leads to improved performance and, um, you know, I guess, uh, better engagement from employees, that sounds like the logical place to start with any business. And if I look at, you know, the workplaces that I've worked for currently working with, um, you know, employee engagement there, um, some people are highly engaged and some people are just not. And um, yeah, so it's, it's really, yeah, it seems like an important topic. So how do we go around creating that. And I guess it comes to the individual level, but also to the the management level as well.
1: Right. I think the thing about it is, is you've got to think about how you build relationships outside of work with people and apply it in the workplace. We have this tendency to draw these lines, but we're one person, we're one human being. Mm. So how you do that the quickest is you start to get to know people on a deeper, more personal level right? And that is essentially the way to do it. So I created this game called Cards Against Mundanity. And when I started doing research as well, I came across this professor's name is Arthur Aaron, and he was looking on how to make fast friends from people. And this is back in 1997, pre-social media, you know, internet wasn't that far along. And he got a group of 54 grad students and had them ask questions back and forth with each other in 45 minutes. And at the end of it, he surveyed them and 30% of the people, um, and these were complete strangers that they were talking to, that they knew nothing about beforehand. 30% of the 54 people said the relationship they just created with that person was, they felt like was the closest relationship in their life. Like that person knew more about them. Right. So, you can do that in a group full of people, right? And you can do it super fast by asking questions, yeah. right? So that, that's, that's a literally the game I created was sitting in a group of people and asking them certain questions to bring out the vulnerability in each person because that will create the psychological safety because then you create these shared experiences, shared emotions where you can relate to people. And then that's where the magic starts to begin when you can do things like that. You just have to do it in a fun way where people can do it. Another thing you can do is you can have everyone at the beginning of a staff meeting um, bring around a picture that really means something to them and then have them explain it for 30 seconds or a minute. Right, And you'll be amazed if you do that. How people love going to that meeting, or right? I have clients do that, and every time I've had some do that, that's been willing to do it, the people have rated that meeting as their favorite meeting that they go to every single week, and which is done it like ten times, and I've had them go back and survey and ask and, and ask them what meeting, and it's always come up as that. So. Um, and, and I, so that's what you got to do is you, the reason is, is people are sharing and they're being seen, they're being heard for who they are.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that breaks down those barriers. And so we can sort of, again, be, be ourselves more so in the, in the, uh, in the workplace. Um, a couple of questions I have with that. How do, how do we do it? Like what size groups are, are ideal for it? Is there too large a group or too small a group? Um, and how do we do it in a way? Because I guess, in my opinion, if I went and did that, there'd be a lot of people that would be going, "Oh no, you're definitely not sharing anything like that." There'd be others that'd be quite comfortable and perhaps overshare. Um, and then there's there's probably if you did it in the group situation, um, there's probably going to be those of us who are sort of shy or intimidated by doing such a thing.
1: So. One of the things I've done because I've done this now with hundreds of people, and I've only had one person opt out. So that's actually interesting because everyone brings that up, but actually no one does. Okay. So, um, but the and the only person who opted out was someone who quit two weeks later. So they actually had accepted another position before this time, this game. So that that's the only person that did. So
0: do you think that's but, sort of the the social pressure? Like yeah. if you see your leader sort of share something, and then a couple of other people do it, you sort of go, okay, well, look, I'm yes. just gonna, you know, it's a power of influence, I guess.
1: It is. So the leader always goes first. I tell everyone and I wrote it in the instructions. The leader has to go first and take a question that's vulnerable because then what happens with vulnerability is no one wants to lead with it. But if someone does what you tell everyone unconsciously in the back of your head that will register with you is that. It is safe for me to share because otherwise that person would have not shared with me, right? Hmm. And that's what goes on in everyone's brain when that happens, so they do it. Now, of course, some people may be nervous the first time, right? And, and you, as you go around, and usually the way that I tell people is to play like three or four rounds, everyone says the third or fourth, they're much more comfortable answering it than the first or second, but they still do it, and they learn a lot from it. And that's the key. And they walk out of there and they're like, wow, I learned some new things. And what's really important is that if you create a good or great friend at work, your productivity goes up seven times and so does your retention. So Hmm. you don't even – so you don't need to have all of these good friends at work. You just need one, right? And that makes all the difference in the world um, and how all of this stuff works. So it's just – You've got to do it. And you know, I've had other I've had other clients where I've had them put these cards in a bowl, like right around like the kitchen area, and saying, hey, take one and find someone in the room and ask them a question. And people do that. And, you know, so you can do this in many ways. You just gotta get people to reveal themselves and find ways to share who they are yeah. and do it in creative, fun ways. Um, and have the leadership has to do it as well along with it. Or if you're running a group of people, like you're a sales manager, director, you've just got to be doing it, and then other people in your group will follow, right? And I've had it also done where, if you're in a bigger company, I've had groups run where the people have not been in the same room, but they knew that the other team was playing. And you'll see crossover and people asking each other questions um, because they know they were a part of it. And you see it rubbing off, even if they weren't a part of the same group.
0: Absolutely. It makes it, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, is there a size of group that would be too big to do such a thing? Do you think? Or, you
1: know, or? I think over 15 people is probably where it breaks, right? I mean, 12 usually is where I tell people, but I think you can get up to like 15 people before it becomes more difficult because then it's too long before you go around in a circle of people sharing,
0: right? Yeah, people lose interest. Makes sense. Yeah.
1: Pe- people lose interest. And, Entirely. but yeah, so, and obviously you can do this one-on-one, right, with people. I just – the group thing is is that you can maximize the answers because you'll find more people that may have had an, the same experience or that they have shared the same emotion, right, like a loss – in their life that was significant doesn't matter what loss it is you relate to that person because you felt those feelings before so you're naturally more gonna gravitate towards that individual and you see this happening so that's why it's so powerful because Mm -hmm. you don't have have you don't have to have run a marathon to have done something difficult it's just that if you've done something supremely difficult then the person who's climbed a mountain can relate to that and they're like wow that's awesome and then they have something deep in common that they can talk about, and that's how you become friendly with someone or at least like them, right? And the thing is is that when you like people, you treat them differently, and you're willing to compromise. You'll communicate better. You'll collaborate and resolve Absolutely. conflict.
0: Yeah. Right? So, I mean, so basically what
1: happens, it's like management training, leadership training, and all these skills training, yep. free because you're, you're basically people be walking around – at their maximum level, at where they could possibly go to consistently in their environment, right? Now, that's yeah. not that they don't need training or help, but you're getting the most out of every person while they're there versus having people go up and down depending on the people they interact with because if they don't like them, they're not going to negotiate, they're not going to do certain things because they have no self-interest to do so and they just won't do it.
0: Yeah. Do you think, I mean, if we if we had a big organisation of, let's say, 100 people, 200 people, um, obviously there's usually smaller teams in that where you could do this sort of an activity. Um, if we then, you know, uh, did that sort of topic where we show a photo, for example, we could then stick it together and make a collage of all the teams, put it in a central place so even across yeah. teams people could see each totally. other's thing and, and maybe a little caption there or something that sort of captures that and, um, you know, again, allows that vulnerability and, and uh, exposure uh, and also opens the doorway to, you know, communication and likability. Um,
1: yeah, you could put it on a wall too, right? Yeah, and yeah, put
0: caption. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's tons of things. All this stuff is the same, right? It's all offshoots and the same thing that you yeah. can do yeah. yep. for other people. But it's But it's a requirement to do it because it's the easiest thing. And people are always looking at team building and ways to do training and to get people to work better together. And I'm like, well... You can't get people to work well together that don't like each other because it's, it's, you're asking them to do something that they wouldn't do in the real world, yep. and you're asking them to do it at work. No one I know works like that. You can't force someone to do things that they're not going to do um, because it's psychologically in our brain everywhere else. We won't do it. Maybe we'll do it for a little while. But then we're going to revert back to our state where we don't negotiate, we don't collaborate with them, we don't communicate, and we get an argument because whoever told us to do so, that's worn off, and now we're back to our normal self.
0: Hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, what, the last question I want to ask you in regards to this topic is uh, accountability. I know uh, through some of the research I've done is that employee engagement seems to be a big part because employees feel entitled And there seems to be less accountability in the workplace. How do these two topics relate? So uh, psychological safety, vulnerability and accountability.
1: Well, I think, so I went and interviewed some of the people that work for my clients to find out, you know, why they stay up late, why they enjoy working for these people. And when it come down to it, it wasn't for their own personal gain. It's because they didn't want to disappoint the other person because they knew that that person cared deeply about them as a a person in, in the office and out of the office. So that's how you also build a lot more accountability Because when people care about people, that's a core core tenet of trust. That's the primary tenet. Mm -hmm. In fact, you get rid of everything else. Right? You may know people in your life that are not reliable, that are not sincere, but if you know that they care about you deeply, you know, and that are going to be there for you, then you still trust them and you still do things for them that you wouldn't do for other people, right? It's the same thing in this environment, right? Accountability comes down to that. What happens in today's entitled workplace is that people don't share that they care in getting to know people. So then people, the millennials, want to find their purpose and they want to feel good about their own life and about what's going on. And then they go to work and they're like, well, I don't get anything there. So why do I want to stay there? And if someone offers me, you know, 15000 dollars more, which after taxes isn't much, I'd rather have that money and go somewhere else than sit in an environment where I'm really not getting much. And maybe I have a few people that like I sort of like, but I don't really like most of the people. My boss is okay; they don't really care about me. Well, then you're, you're going to just basically bounce around.
0: Yeah, right. That no, makes sense. I like the uh, the link there, mate. Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show today. It's a great topic um how can people best reach out to you
1: so they can uh go to my website and that's jason and it's dot ucom it's pronounced troy but it's spelled t-r-e-u yeah. so you can do that and then you can download this team building game at cards against mundanity.com and it's got instructions and it's all free and i tell you what to do and suggestions afterwards so uh you can have some fun and Start creating a great team, no matter what size of organization you are, company, or just, you know, if you're just a manager and want to get more performance out of your small team.
0: Sounds brilliant. Guys, check it all out, and thank you for joining us today at The Hidden Why. Uh, hope you enjoyed, I was about to say whitecom Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Really appreciate you being here. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. Thanks, Jason. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in and listening to today's conversation. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to take something away, something to help you create a more meaningful life, a life with greater freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Guys, if you love the content that I produce here at The Hidden Why, there are a few ways you can support me. Firstly, connect with me. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can connect with me online at thehiddenwhy.com or via social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to connect with you. If you've got any thoughts, comments, feedback, suggestions, or anything at all that you'd like to ask me, you can reach me at thehiddenwhyguy at gmail.com. While you're there, guys, make sure you subscribe to thehiddenwhy.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can be kept up to date with all the new episodes and happenings here at The Hidden Why. If you love what you heard in this episode, guys, or any of the others, please share the love. Share it with your family, friends, and anyone you think that might get some value. If you haven't already done so, you can also leave me a review on iTunes. Simply head over to iTunes, type in the Hidden Why, click the Ratings and Reviews button and leave me a short message plus a 1 to 5 star rating. It helps me reach more people. Once again, guys, I appreciate the time you've taken out of your day to support my show. Until next time, you know what to do. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so, you will discover your Hidden Why. This is the Hidden Why Podcast. My name is Liam Arnitzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.